Welcome to the Drum Shuffle, a podcast offering insights, perspectives, and conversations for drummers. I'm your host, Jamie Eads. Hey, how's it going out there, everybody? Welcome to the Drum Shuffle. Jamie Eads joining you as always. This is episode 58. Hope everybody's having a fantastic week. Have a great interview for you today. I'm going to be joined by my friend, Mark Poise. Uh, In just a moment, he's going to tell you all about what he's got going on out on the road with Tyler Farr and his just wonderful story. So please stay tuned after this message from our sponsor, Los Cabos Drumsticks. The best kept secret for drummers is finally out. Los Cabos Drumsticks may look like the sticks you grew up with, but these are not your father's drumsticks. Los Cabos Drumsticks is Canada's number one drumstick brand, and they are coming to a retailer near you. With operations in over 28 countries worldwide, thousands of drummers have already discovered the Los Cabos difference. Using FSC certified wood from Canada and the US, Los Cabos make the finest quality drumsticks, percussion tools, and accessories on the market. The best news, Los Cabos Drumsticks offers you a ton of choice. They have 22 individual drumstick models and 14 percussion tools, many of which are available in three different wood types, maple, white hickory, and red hickory. Red hickory comes from the center or heart of the hickory tree and has been independently proven to be both stronger and more elastic than white hickory without adding a lot of weight. While most drumstick manufacturers have shunned red hickory, Los Cabos Drumsticks has embraced it, becoming the only established stick brand in the world to offer a full line of red hickory drumsticks. To learn more about Los Cabos Drumsticks, visit them online at loscabosdrumsticks.com Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and don't forget to ask for Los Cabos Drumsticks at your favorite retailer. Dare to be different. Join the Red Hickory Revolution with Los Cabos Drumsticks. All right, guys and girls, as I mentioned, we're going to be joined here in just a moment by my pal, Mark Poise. Uh, Mark is just doing a ton of great work out on the road right now with Tyler Farr. Uh, Mark is originally from Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, but he's been a Nashville native uh, for for a few years now, uh, just doing tons of great work. And he is truly, truly one of the nice guys in the music business. So please help me welcome to the drum shuffle, Mark Poise. Mark, good afternoon. How you doing, brother? I'm doing great. How are you, Jamie? Man, I'm doing wonderfully well. I can't complain a bit. Thanks so much for taking some time to come on the Drum Shuffle. We certainly appreciate it. It is an honor, man. You, you've got a great list of guests uh, that have been on this thing already, and it's it's really cool to be included. Oh, you know, now the, the list of guests goes up another notch because we have the great Mark Poise on the show. So, I mean, Thank you, sir. Yes. it's win-win for everybody. Um, so Mark, you and I met, um, in conjunction with Nashville drummers jam and, um, just had a really cool hang down there, uh, back last year at the end of last year. And I got to know a little bit about you. Um, but what I would like to do for our listeners is I kind of want to go chronologically as we tend to do on the show, 
Um, you grew up in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, which famously is the home of, of most of the guys from the band Poison, right? Yeah, I, it's funny. You, know, you watch behind the music, I guess, on VH1. Uh, yeah, Brett Michaels went to my high school. Uh, we are not the same age, not even remotely close, but uh, he was the big famous uh, fame story out of Mechanicsburg High School. But it was actually a hotbed that central PA, Harrisburg is the state capital there, uh, is a, has been a hotbed for a lot of bands. Um, Fuel came out of there. Uh, Live came out of just south of there. Uh, there have been a lot of successful bands that broke out of what is really not that big of a population center. It was you know, a lot of like hometown musical pride there. Yeah, for sure, man. Well, and it's just such a great, you know, part of the country, but Tell me about you growing up and how did you discover drumming? Do you come from a musical family or was it completely by accident? Uh, no, I don't come from a musical family at all. Uh, other than my mom singing in the church choir for a couple of years, uh, that, that was literally the extent of it. Um, I, I love that I remember the exact moment that I knew I wanted to play the drums. Um, and I, I remember it as vividly as any other huge, important day. Uh, it was, I was in kindergarten and, um, they took us on a field trip. I guess we were the guinea pigs of sorts because we went on a field trip to the middle school where we were forced to sit and listen to the middle school jazz band to their (laughs) concert. Uh, which I guess it's like, you know, the middle schoolers get like a, an audience and the, the kindergartners get to get out of class and everybody wins. But, um, uh, the funny thing about it was everybody comes out of there and it's, it's sort of like a trying to get kids interested in playing instruments. I think is one of the, one of the big goals of it for the younger kids that are in the audience. Uh, and I just remember seeing this, you know, drummer that probably has, given up drums years ago. I don't know. I'll never know his name at this point. Um, but there was a kid on the drums and I was just mesmerized by that. It wasn't like what he was playing. I had no concept of any of that, but I was magnetically drawn to the, the concept of drummer playing drums. And, um, I, I, when we got out of that whole assembly, we hop on the bus and ride back to our school down the street uh, half the kids on the bus are saying they're going to be drummers too. Which oh, is that's fun. cool. Yeah. Um, you know, like, like half of them say, all, almost half of them say saxophone, maybe like you know, some guitar players, but like a, a full half of the bus is saying, I'm going to play the drums. And there's always some <laughs> kid who's like, my dad has a drum set and I already play the drums. And I remember feeling like it's going to be an uphill battle to do this. Cause like, I don't already have a drum set. I don't, you know, but I want to. Yeah. Uh, and the, that really laid dormant from kindergarten up until fifth grade, uh, which is when the opportunity in my school, I went to a public school, uh, came up to pick an instrument to join the fifth grade band, the concert band. Um, and I literally looked at the list of instruments. I was looking for drums or drum set, and it wasn't on there. All I saw was snare drum. And I said, well, that looks like the closest thing, so I'm going to pick it. Uh, you know, fortunately that's, you know, dead on, but I, as a 10 year old, nine, 10 year old, I didn't know that. Um, so I got into playing snare drum, really hoping that it would someday get me behind a drum set. Um, and it was, it was a great experience. I went, I was fortunate to go to a public school with a fantastic music program and very passionate teachers, uh, 
they, you know, they spent extra time with me. Even my fifth grade band teacher could tell I was really serious. And I was like running ahead in the method book of the class. And I would come to her and ask her questions like, hey, I'm trying to figure out this nine stroke roll thing. Am I doing it right? And we were still figuring out slams in the class. Nice. You know? Yeah. Uh, and, and so she set me up with my own lesson. And at the time, I, I didn't understand it. But now teaching drum lessons, I know how valuable it is when you have someone with passion. So um, I'm thankful that she saw my passion and she wanted to feed it. And it sort of grew from there. Um, I, I, I had a lot of tools at my disposal because I showed a lot of desire to work hard and learn and put practice time in. And by sixth grade, I was able to get behind a drum kit for the first time. And, and what was just my Ludwig Acrolyte for fifth grade band turned into a $199 uh, no-name drum kit for Christmas in sixth grade. And then I was really off to the races. So at that point I was just playing in my parents' basement, you know, playing in school band, got involved in jazz band in middle school. And, and you got to be the kid playing for the kindergartners, which was the first really cool uh, flip flop of my drumming story. Uh, there's a lot of those that happen. I, I love noticing when they do happen, when you go from the observer to the performer yeah. of, of some really cool moments. Um, but I, I just learned everything I could. And I would turn on the radio and play along with the radio every day when I got home after school, all the way until dinner time. Uh, and started up private lessons, started playing in garage bands. It was, it was anything and everything that had to do with drums I was into. Um, including, you know, learning how to play timpani properly, learning about mallets, learning about all, all these things, taking elective music theory classes. They even, they had that stuff in my high school. Um, so I was, I was just pursuing everything I could, but by the time I was about 13, I knew that this isn't just something I wanted to do. This was, this had to be my life. This was like a calling. Um, and I, it wasn't just, Oh, I want to play drums. I was drawn to, you know, watching concert videos and seeing artists, bands that I liked and seeing like 50,000 people in an audience. And that really, that was the point of no return. Yeah. Um, that was when I, I, there was just a deep sense of this is what I'm here for, you know? Uh, and the good and the bad of that, because that's the terrible thing when you start thinking that, that this is why I, uh, this is why part of why I was born. And then you're like, oh yeah, that one in a million music thing, you know, like you're going to get that response from everybody for years. Uh, and it's, it's hard to, to keep the faith in the face of uh, uncertainty like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it, our stories are very similar uh, in that, you know, there wasn't a, a plan B for me, you know, I mean, it was like, I, I'm doing this no matter what. And, you know, the adults in the room would always say, Oh, well, you better have something to fall back on because you know, that's, that business is really tough. You know, becoming a doctor is really tough. You know, you don't, oh, yeah. you don't tell somebody that wants to be a doctor. Yeah. You probably ought to give up on that. That's a lot of school, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. So, I, I mean, I think it's, um, it, this business is hard, let's face it. And, you know, when you choose that, I, I think you set yourself on a path of, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make it. So walk us through that next logical progression because i i think i heard someplace or or maybe you told me when we were hanging out down in nashville that your first gig was like a polka gig or something oh yeah well yeah i mean i it was 
anything and everything I was up for. So the first time I was ever paid to play the drums, um, I, I was 13 or 14. Either way, it doesn't matter that age. And I, I got called to sub in a polka band by one of the music teachers in the school district. Uh, Cause they knew I, I was a kid that was, uh, you de- had, had a decent level of drumming skill, but they also knew I was pretty responsible and I was respectful. So I was a good candidate to come in to this thing. And it was a polka band. And the next youngest guy was still well over 65. So here I am 13 or 14. Uh, and it's like a political, like stump party for someone who's running for like local office. It was at a, at a park. It was the biggest you know, really joke of a gig, let's be honest. But my mom loaded the drums in the car with me and we went and I earned 50 bucks to make up drum parts while I stared at a tuba chart. <laughs> um, and Classic. and the, the thought, the, the thought that, you know, I, I wasn't thinking, uh, you know, that I was going to play in polka bands, but the thought that like there was, that this was actually something, you know, man, I can, I made money doing this. That yeah. was, that was huge, you know. The goal really was to, to play different types of music and at different types of events. But um, that was the first one. But from there, I, I got involved in a like a jazz trio, and I, I would we would play a bunch of coffee house and, and brunch gigs with three of us that were all high schoolers, and we were doing um, you know jazz uh, piano based drums trio stuff reading out of a real book and I was playing in a uh, cover band for fun and we'd play like the school dance parties and stuff and um, played an original band for fun and play shows in the basement of the local church like it was all on deck for me right um, so wh- whatever it, it takes was, right I mean exactly and and that led you know after high school the dream, I, you know, I was definitely that person naive enough to think that one of these bands was suddenly going to get a record deal. And after graduation, I was going to hop on a tour bus and do this. But, well, I, you know, I graduated and, uh, yeah, that wasn't happening. So the next step was, well, until the dream happens, what do I do? I just decided that I wanted to get as many tools as I possibly could. Uh, and that led me down to the University of Miami. Um, uh, I, I had looked at a bunch of different schools, and I, I think there might have been some, like, divine providence involved. But as I was in my college search, uh, junior year of high school, Modern Drummer happened to do an article about uh, four-year colleges that offered drum set, either focus or degrees in specifically drum set. And they listed a lot of the schools in the country that do it, but they highlighted three above all saying that like these three came up, like everyone talked about these three. So yeah, there's a lot of options, but there are three that are separate from the pack. And that was Berkeley College of Music in Boston, University of North Texas in Denton, Texas, and the University of Miami in Florida. Um, and I basically, I had visited Berkeley. Uh, I, don't, I don't mean to talk smack about them, but I visited thinking that that was where I should go. And I was there and it became clear that that was not the place for me because I remember I was on a tour and they kept talking about rock guys and jazz guys and, and Latin guys. And I said, well, what, a, what percentage of, of players or drummers play all styles? And they looked at me like I had two heads. <laughs> so they just they, they didn't understand and they refused to acknowledge that it was even possible. So I was like, okay, well, I don't think like I was already, I had my hands in so many things. I didn't really want to, uh, shrink my focus quite yet. So, uh, 
part of me was just, I just wasn't into the thought of Texas. So I never gave that a fair shake, but I went down to visit the university of Miami and, uh, met Steve Rucker, who is the head of the drum set, uh, department there at the school of music. And he has been since the seventies. So, uh, you know, so many of the legendary drummers that have come out of Miami ever since the late seventies have been students of Steve's. Uh, and when I met him, it was, uh, I, there was no doubt. Steve was so welcoming and so helpful, like immediately helpful to me in ways that were directly aligned with my goals uh, that I knew that very day that I visited on campus at Miami that that was where I had to go to school. Um, right but on. at the same time, the, the Latin explosion, this was, this was 2002. I started college there in 03. So the Latin explosion was happening. So Shakira had come out and was a, suddenly a worldwide superstar. Enrique Iglesias was everywhere. Um, uh, there were several of those artists all at the same time. And all of the drummers for those artists were UM alums. You know, by name, Brendan Buckley, Van Romaine, um, Ricky Martin was also huge then. And, you know, uh, so all of that is straight out of University of Miami. Right on. And and I was like, man, if so many drummers, you know, it's actually a very small program there. And if such a high percentage of the drummers that study here are ending up on these huge gigs, that is really what I want to do. I think this is the place for me. Uh, even though it's a jazz school, it is, you know, it is a, a bebop school to be exact, you know, that most of the focus is on bebop drumming. Um, but I went in and I just, uh, I put my head down and I tried to absorb everything it had, all the butt kickings for four years straight. Well, you bring up a good point in saying, you know, Miami is known for its jazz program and they have a fantastic, you know, jazz band at the University of Miami. But I don't want to gloss over the fact, you know, everybody's going to say, oh, well, you know, Mark plays with Tyler Farr and he lives in Nashville. So he's a country guy, right? You grew up as a rock and roller. I mean, let, let's make no bones about it. You're a rock guy through and through. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if, if somebody were to put a gun to my head and say you have to choose to play one style for the rest of your life, I'm going to say I'm a rock drummer. Right. You know, fortunately, that doesn't happen. But I'm a rock drummer that until things really started happening, I just wanted to get as many tools as I could possibly have. Uh, and now that I'm really in and have been in the business for a long time, I realized how valuable that was and what a blessing it was to have the time to get all these tools. Um, cause I love it when people have seen, you know, with Tyler, I'm, I'm playing, I'm playing it like a rock gig. I'm, I'm hitting hard, like tons of energy, you know, some big fills here and there, but it, it's rock and roll. And I love when I can surprise people with all of these other things uh, that, that are in my toolbox, but I, you know, it's just not appropriate for the gig. So I don't show, I'm not showing anything off. And I love when I can surprise people. Um, and that honestly keeps, uh, keeps things fresh. So I'm, I'm really proud of what I've gone through, even though I'll also say I have enough, I also gained such a huge respect for the players that really are that. And, you know, you're not going to see me playing uh, at the Blue Note in New York uh, in the set before Jeff Tain walks. You know, <laughs> right I, on. I, yeah, that's that's not me. I just wouldn't do it because I I, I get what he's doing now. I, I really get the depth of it, and I just want to listen. 
you well, know? Yeah. And I think you've said before, and, and I don't know exactly where I caught it, but maybe it was one of the other interviews that you've done. You said, you know, instead of trying to be, you know, known for nine or 10 different things, maybe I should just be known for for one really good thing, you know, and, and have a calling card. And, yeah. you know, we just recently had your friend uh, and my friend, Rich Redmond, on the show. And Rich was like, you know, I, I need a, everybody needs a calling card. And his thing was to bring, you know, the, the, the kind of John Bonham stuff to country music, mm-hmm. you, you know. So, I mean, I think it's I think it's really cool that you approached it from a I'm going to get all of the tools that I possibly can, but then I'm going to hone it down into what really makes me tick as a player. Yeah. And, but I, I can't take too much credit because there was not a master plan when I was 18 or 20 years old. Oh, there never is for drummers. Drummers never have Uh, a master plan. (laughs) Yeah. What, what happened was I, I, you know, I got all these tools and I, I pretty much put myself through college by playing in, in a, amazing wedding and top 40 bands, you know, corporate party band basically. Um, but like at the highest level, like all the singers in this band had their own record deals. The other guys in the band were going on the road with huge artists and they were half of my education about being in Miami because we were, I mean, we were, I've never heard a wedding band as good as that band was ever. Like it was, it was the best. So that was a huge education for me, but it was, it encouraged more diversity. And then that led to reggae gigs and salsa gigs and, and a jazz gig here. And then uh, I spent five years chasing the dream in, in a rock band uh, that, that went really far before ultimately falling apart. Uh, and it really led to my first big gig, which was still in Miami playing for the Latin pop superstar, John Cicada. Um, but even through all that, I knew that I was sort of a chameleon. And that can be a good thing from guaranteeing that you're always going to work because I was working, I was busy, like super duper busy, but I, I didn't see that leading to the place that I really wanted to be in my career where I, where I envisioned, you know, somebody says, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Uh, I didn't see a path connecting where I was to where I saw myself in 10 years, which was much more in touch with the things that made me tick when I was a kid. Um, so a big part of the move to Nashville was me realizing that uh, it may be better to not be a chameleon for a while. And when I moved to Nashville, it was a very conscious effort to say, I'm going to put out to the world how I want them to see me. Like I, I'm, I'm going to choose how I want to be seen. And if that means I'm pigeonholed, at least I chose the place that they're pigeonholing me into. Yeah, right on. I, I and I think that's a really smart, educated way to approach it. Now, you made the move to Nashville in 2013, um, and you know, I think it's well documented that when somebody moves to Nashville, especially if you don't know anybody, you don't have a, a foot in the door, so to speak, it's a pretty hard town to break into the scene. You did not have that problem. You went to work like within just a few weeks of arriving, correct? I did. Yeah, I was, I was very fortunate. Um, I, I 
caution everybody. It's funny that once word got out about that, the number of drummers that come to town either just moved here or are thinking about moving here. And, and they basically want to know what my secret was to make things happen so quick. I say, man, it could have gone the other way just as well. Like I, I could be six years in now and still waiting for like a, a, a opportunity to shine. Yeah. You know, it, I was very fortunate that a couple uh, very generous people just uh, gave me an opportunity. It, it wasn't uh, wasn't any more than that, basically. Um, but I will say a big part of it was my preparation beforehand. I I moved to Nashville with tons of gigging experience. I moved. I was 28 years old, and I had been playing full time in many cases, five to seven nights a week for years at that point, uh, and had the opportunity working with an artist like John Cicada for the time that I did, we had, we had done big shows, you know, I had, you know, played an arena show before I knew what it was like to run tracks, uh, and things like that. So when I came to Nashville, I had all my skill set together. Now I didn't have the Nashville, uh, contact list per se, but I had my skill set. And as soon as a call came, I was absolutely ready in every way. Um, I didn't, you know, you, you got to be careful, like, don't brag about it. But I just, when the time came to, to put up or shut up, I was ready to put up. And until then, I was just going to try to meet people and make a life here because I was committed to living in Nashville, whether or not I got a big gig in a couple of years. Uh, I, I had made the decision that I wanted to leave South Florida and live in Nashville for better or worse. It was a life move. Um, yeah. and that's, there, there's a lot to that commitment. Cause I know a lot of people think like, Oh, I'll try this out. And man, I believe in trying a dish. Uh, I believe in trying, uh, the, like clothes on. <laughs> I, I don't believe in, I don't believe in trying life. Like yeah. you gotta do it. You gotta do it because there's, there's a power to the conviction that you put into things that you, you can hear it when you hear people play drums. You don't say, you don't say, I'm going to try this groove. You start playing it right? <laughs> and yeah. you meet, and you got to mean it. And if later you say, Hey, that didn't work. I'm going to change. That's an assessment you make later on. Uh, but in the moment you have to have conviction in what you're doing. And my move to Nashville was that. So, uh, the good fortune of just a couple quality contacts gave opportunity. Uh, and then, you know, when opportunity comes, you better deliver. Uh, and that's the case for everyone, not just me. So things just went very well. So I was in town about maybe six weeks, six very quiet weeks. Cause I went from gigging five nights a week to no gigs, but, uh, within that amount of time, uh, landed with Chuck Wicks for a couple months, which, you know, already like, Hey, hop on a bus. We're playing some shows. Uh, this is, this is great. <laughs> so you, so um, your then, first gig in Nashville was a bus tour. Uh, well, I had done a couple, I hopped in a van a couple times with guys for, you know, Hey, we're going to the panhandle of Florida for okay. 125 bucks. And, and can you learn these 60 cover songs in the next 12 hours? Cause our guy canceled. I did those. I gotcha. Um, okay. And, it, and every time, every time it was, uh, every one of them I did, they were like, Hey, do you want to be our main guy? But you know, I also, I needed money, but I was trying to be careful because if I was going to play cover in cover bands, I would have stayed in South Florida. The money is better there to do that. Right. So I, I came here to, to be doing a different type of thing. So I just always said, Hey, I'll do whatever I can, 
but I, I, I'm not trying to get too wrapped up in this thing. I, I'm interested in working with original artists, original bands, uh, whether that's in the studio or on the road. But the cover band thing, I, I wouldn't have moved to Nashville if I was going to keep doing that. So that, that uh, gut to sort of maintain that focus was valuable, even though it took a lot of guts. And I didn't know it was the right call at the time. Um, but yeah, so that led to, to working with Chuck Wicks because I had a friend that introduced me to someone in town who used to be the drummer with Chuck and knew the current musical director. The bottom line is, you know, six degrees of separation, uh, as it always is. Uh, and they needed a guy to sub and, uh, so I said, yeah. And I showed up and Chuck said, well, Hey, do you want to do all these other dates? So I said, yeah. Um, and that ultimately uh, got me through the first couple months just having a little bit of income. And, you know, I had played, I think I lived here three months. And I played the Opry the first time. Oh my <laughs> I was, God. And I was like, man, I don't know anything about the Grand Ole Opry. Like, really? Like, I, I didn't, I, I'm, I'm such an outsider here. I remember I actually <laughs> had, I had met Rich Redmond already for coffee. Uh, and, and I ended up texting him. I was like, man, what do I need about to know about going into the Opry? Like, I know it's throw and go, but like, I don't have any, uh, context here. <laughs> so it's kind of funny. Well, uh, I, I, but, you know, at least you didn't say, well, what is that? You know, I mean, <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> That's but, fantastic. I, mean, I had never seen a show. I, I had never even seen an Opry show gone there as a spectator, anything. So, uh, I was just very fortunate that some kind people thought of me. And then when opportunity was there, I did my very best and I was prepared and it, it went well. Um, so from there, another call came. It actually came directly from Rich Redmond because we had talked and he knew about my experience playing with John Sakata. So he knew that I had worked with tracks. He knew that I had been on a, a touring gig and, and, knew what the, the unique pressures and responsibilities that sometimes go along with that are. So he said, hey, there's this new artist that we just produced, meaning him and uh, the Three Kings, Tully at Kennedy and Kurt Allison. Uh, this artist's name is Lindsay L., and she's got a single that we did, and it's going to come out, and she's going to go on tour in January, opening for the band Perry. Like, 10 weeks straight, whole bunch of shows, but we need a guy who can... It, what, what, what the gig ended up being was play drums, run tracks, and run a light rig that's slaved to the tracks rig. Okay, so, so you wear a lot I of mean, hats on that gig, yeah. Yeah, and, and for, for, you know, cheap. Yeah, of <laughs> so, course it was. <laughs> yeah, so, so uh, I mean, that's Nashville for you. You know, yeah. cheap. New, new, new artist, cheap. And, but he called me, and uh, at the time, I was actually still doing some fly dates with John Sakata, even though I lived in Nashville. And um, I actually ended up that that was the thing that made me have to cut ties with John because there was immediately was a direct conflict with something John was going to do, and I, I left the highest profile, highest paying gig I ever had for not much money, but a lot of shows because a really well known guy recommended me for it. Um, and I knew that if I did a good job with Lindsay, either her career would take off and, you know, there I am, or it would open other doors. Right. Um, so, so you gave up your high profile gig doing fly dates to go run a light rig and play drums. That's awesome. That's, I mean, that's a great story, Mark. Yeah. Well, it was, it's all about, to me, it's all about, 
following your gut and looking at the trajectory of things, saying, is this taking me where I want to go? You know, it's, it's not about, hey, who pays the most on Saturday night? But uh, asking those questions about, you know, navigationally, making sure your compass is pointed in the right direction for you, uh, that's, that's been critical for me. And I, every big uh, decision in my career or life has been made, and I don't regret them because I always checked in on that level with myself. Yeah. Well, and you have to. Uh, you have to. Because, I mean, you know, I can only relate it to my own, you know, personal life. I made the decision, you know, to raise my family in central Kentucky. I wasn't going to move to L.A. or Nashville or Atlanta or Austin or, or wherever the case may be. I've got roots here and it was, you know, I can do as much work as a musician as I want to kind of thing. Would I like higher profile stuff? Of course. But now it's to the point where, you know, instead of going out and playing, you know, I don't know, 30 or 40 festival dates this summer, I would much rather just sit in the studio and do demos for somebody, um, you know, with people I like, you know, good music. So I think you have to approach it from a perspective of what is going to make me happy. And a lot of times it's not being on a bus and being gone 240 days a year uh, and being in that scene. So, you know, kudos to you for having the guts to make a call like that. Yeah. Well, I, I also knew, I won't lie. I also thought to myself, if I say no to Rich Redmond, uh, it was no, <laughs> like I, if, if he was, if I was his guy, I was going to be her guy. Like there was, it was, it was just going to be seamless. It, it, I ended up, he's like, well, you'll have to have coffee with her and make sure that she's cool with you. But yeah, you're, if, if I say you're the guy, you're the guy. Right. Um, I knew that if I said no to Rich Redmond, he probably wasn't going to call me again, you know? So yeah. it was, it was one chance. And the way that ended up, uh, I, I, that was one of my favorite touring experiences I've ever had. It, and it was so much fun. And we were such a, bad ass band. Um, but Lindsay's first single did not take off. Anyone who listens to country radio would know that in the past year, Lindsay has really, uh, started to blow up and it makes me very happy, but it took five years for, uh, things to really all come together uh, at country radio and all that for her. Um, so her first single didn't take off and there really wasn't a lot of work and all of it's kind of new. Like, I was all about working with her, but you know, I can only stick around if we're earning a living. So it was a little shaky. None of us knew if there would be anything after this tour, uh, but there were not dates. That's for sure. Uh, and it was, it was the last week of the tour and I got a call, um, that, uh, Tyler Farr needed a drummer. And the, the funny thing about it is once again, it's just a couple quality people, Tully Kennedy, who was one of the producers of Lindsay L the bass player with Jason Aldean, you know, plays along with alongside Rich Redmond every night. Sure. Tully Kennedy, uh, was asked by Tyler Farr, who was opening for him on the road. Tyler had just had to let go of a drummer and didn't want to have auditions again. Cause he had just actually had auditions. And he just said, Tully, man, do you know anybody like any recommendations, anybody? And Tully happened to think of me because, Lindsay was just wrapping up. He knew she was going to go back in the studio and not have dates on the road. And he knew I had just done a really good job. And it was, it was positive vibes all around. 
So Tully was just like, yeah, man. I mean, I he probably said I only heard him play once in rehearsal, but you should call this guy. <laughs> so, so right there, the call, you know, I landed. I was literally out of a gig, not at all. It was from the last day of one tour. I knew that was a Saturday, and I knew that Monday I was going to have to show up uh, and, and meet Tyler's guys. And the next weekend I would be out on the Jason Aldean tour playing with the opening act. Um, and I had, you know, basically got sent a board tape for Tyler and went into it really as a sub officially because, uh, you know, everybody wants to make sure it's a good fit, but a sub knowing that if this goes well, then you're the guy. Um, so I had about 24, 48 hours to learn Tyler Farr's stuff and, uh, stake my claim, you know, Hey, this, this is what I bring to the table for you. See if I'm a good fit. And it went great. Um, Tyler said to me, uh, one of the best, one of the finest compliments that I've ever gotten from anybody right after the very first show, he came up to me on the bus and said, I've never felt so comfortable singing my own songs. You're hired. Oh, that's killer. Um, and that, yeah, that, that's one of the best, I can't imagine a better compliment. Um, yeah. he didn't say you're, he didn't say you're a freaking badass. He said, I've never felt so comfortable singing my own songs. And, and every, and now we're coming up on, uh, five years. That was March of 2014. And we're kind of on five years together. So, um, it's been a blast. And what's fun about the Tyler Farr gig is that he's an intense guy and he loves me just digging in behind him. Uh, and he, he, he feeds off that energy. So I, I sort of ended up, I mean, as close as I think anybody has any business asking for, I ended up exactly where I wanted to, um, from when I was a kid, you know, playing, getting to play huge shows, uh, for, for massive crowds and really just beat the living piss out of the drums in a good, you know, good tone, good touch, all that. But like, really given it a hundred percent energy, um, behind an artist that wants 100% energy. And I have a blast doing that. Yeah, for sure, man. Well, and it shows, you know, I mean, for, for our listeners that aren't following you on social media, they, they really need to be doing that because you, uh, I think you are a GoPro owner and you put out a lot of great videos of you behind the kit with Tyler and it just looks like you're having a blast. And I got to tell you, man, um, you know, just looking at your kit the way it is, I could sit down behind your kit blindfolded and play it. You know, I mean, it, it's that similar to my setup. And, you know, awesome. you're, yeah, you're just having a blast out there. And and it's true. You're not doing the, you know, the, the country drummer thing behind a, you know, plexiglass shield and, you know, none of that. You're you're digging in and, and laying down the law, which is great to see. Yeah, it's, it's a blast. I tell guys, uh, you know, it's, is Tyler Farr a country artist? Absolutely. But my gig on the drums is rock and roll. Right on. Uh, I, I, I am 100% playing a rock gig drumming wise, but my, you know, my responsibility to the artist, yeah, it's still country. And, and there's always a sensitivity to the lyric and all of that. But, uh, man, I, I played exactly the same as far as a touch goes that I that I used to play in my old rock band. You know. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's just, it, it's just instead of playing to like uh, forty people in a bar in Macon, Georgia, where we get to play to <laughs> lots more people. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, 
I think the, the, you know, country music has changed so much over the years and, and we don't have to go down this rabbit hole, but, you know, 20 years ago, you know, I'm a little bit older than you, but 20 years ago, 25 years ago, had I walked into a gig like that and played the way you do, I would have been immediately escorted out of the building, probably in restraints. You know, country music has changed to the point where you can get loud on stage and it's expected now. Yeah, I mean, the, the bottom, it, it, the format has, has changed, you know, genre has changed. To me, it's all about, you know, you have to read uh, the the music, you have to read the, the artist and the players you're playing with and the room you're playing in. Uh, and the funny thing is, a lot of the gigs I did in South Florida when I was playing in top 40 bands were super quiet gigs. Like, I couldn't send subs because no one could play quiet enough. <laughs> right. So, so what I find funny is people that now that, that think of me as heavy handed, because, you know, that's all I'm putting out there. Uh, you know, it's like, dude, I was paying the rent for years on gigs where like even clipping a rim shot on a backbeat is automatically too loud. Yeah. Like everything is too loud. You ha- it's, it's like always bring it down, but like, Oh, I got to project energy at the same time. So again, like that's why I, I just love, uh, you know, you amass as many tools in your toolbox as you possibly can, and then hope that you you have uh, what you need in any situation. And each one of my uh, touring gigs has been different in what it calls for me. Like I, I played with a lot of energy behind Lindsay, but it was it was subtly different. You know, there's a in my mind there's a different approach with a, a female artist than a male artist. Uh, and different sensitivity to the content of the songs and all that. But with Tyler, uh, I think, I think we just kind of get each other on a personality level and he likes that I am willing to bring the intensity that, that he likes all the time. And that's, it's cool that we're on the same page there. But if, if we weren't, you know, believe me, if he said back it off, I'd be the first person like total, total shift in, uh, approach. Yeah, well, I mean, there is a certain art form to being able to play brick house, uh, you know, while people are having dinner, right? I mean, and you yeah. know how to do that, playing in a wedding it, band. It, and man, it is hard and still groove and still make somebody dance. It's hard. <laughs> yes, um, it is. <laughs> but, uh, you know, a lot of guys nowadays, especially if you go down like Broadway here in Nashville, a lot of guys are just, they're they're hitting hard and you know, it's almost like, who cares? Well, you know, the, the guys on the road are playing this hard. It's like, man, it's, it's really not the same thing. Like, I subbed for a good buddy down there and, and, you know, as many country covers as I know, which is maybe half of them. Uh, but I was like, I, the whole time I'm, I'm keeping it down. And I think they were shocked that it wasn't what I'm doing on the road. And I'm like, well, that's entirely inappropriate. <laughs> Why would I do that? Yeah. Um, Na- Nationwide Arena is quite a bit bigger than Robert's Western World. It's it's a whole yeah. different sonic space. Yeah. We, we don't need to ruin people's time here, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, I think when you and I talked backstage at, at Drummer's Jam, you know, we were we were talking about, you know, I, I, just all different kinds of things. But one of the cool things that I, that I know about you, and you're probably going to think I'm a weird stalker, but, you know, you had a really cool, just like two minute video on YouTube. But you, you told me when we were talking, you were like, 
the first time I saw Aerosmith was at uh, Hershey Park Stadium. And, you know, that was a, a big moment for you growing up. And you did a YouTube video showing the photograph of you playing Hershey Park Stadium, which I thought was yeah. just super inspirational and, and really cool. I mean, I, you know, had somebody told me a year ago, hey, you're going to have Peter Erskine on the drum shuffle. I would have been like, you're nuts. You're crazy. Or, <laughs> you know, or Matt Chamberlain yeah. or, or any of these, you know, great guests that I've had on here. Um, yeah. So talk a little bit about what it's like once you realize your dream has come true. Man, uh, it's something sort of I alluded to in the beginning when I said, you know, I knew when I wanted to play the drums and then fast forward six, seven years and, and the roles were reversed and I was the kid behind the same drum kit in the same auditorium playing to kindergartners again. Um, that's happened. That thing has happened to me several times in life and I always uh, I always am in awe of it and then and that same thing got to happen at Hershey Park Stadium which is where I saw that's the that's the venue in central Pennsylvania where the biggest acts come to do shows and I, I saw so many great concerts there and it was a huge part of like my dream and the formation of my dream to do what I want to do with my life uh, and I knew you know yeah, there are bigger venues and, and all that, bigger crowds. Not that Hershey Park Stadium is small, but uh, a lot of people would say other venues are the top. But for me, the top venue was the place where the dream was nurtured. And that's what that place was for me. Uh, so getting to play there was, it, it was just super emotional in a lot of ways. Um, but also, I, I can tell you on the flip side of it, after you, if you're so fortunate to achieve some of the big goals you've set out in your own life, uh, man, the human psyche is funny because right afterwards you run into what now? Yeah. You know, well, I, I, I did that. And, and uh, well, I haven't really thought too much about this. Uh, what am I supposed to do now? Uh, and the, the simple answer is, well, continue. But um, I, I can say that uh, the past, leading up to that and, and the whole path through music, it's a very difficult path and there's a lot of uh, angst and anguish and trials along the way, some of which are external because it's a hard business, but a lot of them are internal because there's high expectations and a lot of self-doubt and all that. Um, and some of those things will come roaring. You know, it's great when you achieve your goal, but if you, if you haven't addressed some of those deeper issues, uh, achieving the goal doesn't really put you in any better spot. And a big part for me uh, following that was realizing that, hey, life is bigger. It should be bigger than all of this. As great as it is, uh, I, I, need to, I need to really have it together uh, in every way. And, and this, is, this has been wonderful, but what I do can't define me because that's a very unhealthy place to be. Uh, and, and part of actually getting to close that, that, you know, dream, dream of playing here, work for years and years, and finally roll in on a tour bus one day and play drums in that venue, uh, closing that loop of that, uh, desire forced me to confront some of the bigger things that go along with a, a career in music and, uh, a life of high expectations and all that. And, uh, I think that's been, become a way bigger journey, honestly. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, those are words of wisdom for sure. Now, um, you know, and I don't want to delve too far into into your personal life, but I do know that that, you know, you're married. Um, You know, what's it like? Talk to us a little bit about what it's like, because you guys work a ton. You know, when you're out on the road, you know, 200, 250 nights a year, how do you balance Mark at home versus Mark the drummer? Uh, well, it, a lot of it, my, my wife, uh, is fantastic. Um, her name's Carla and her father is a bass player. Um, her, they're from, she's born and raised in Puerto Rico. So her father still lives in Puerto Rico and plays in a lot of salsa groups, jazz groups and all that. So drummer, bass player, we get along great. Cool. Um, <laughs> but, but she, she, she understands a lot of things about the business and the challenges of being a, a working musician. So that helps a lot. You know, compatibility-wise, that's a big part of it. Um, but uh, part of why we decided to come to Nashville instead of move to L.A. was there, there is a better work-life balance, in my opinion, uh, based on touring out of Nashville because of our geographic location and because of Nashville touring schedules. So we typically, even if we're hitting it really hard, we're getting home every week. Uh, and I'm home. I'll usually like teach a lesson or two in a week or, or do like a, a one song session out of my house, but I'm also mowing the lawn, having dinner with her, making sure, you know, having a date night, um, all those normal things. And Nashville lets you sort of have your cake and eat it too. In that regard, uh, you know, we could play in any location, uh, involving half of the geographic U.S., and I'll be home for lunch the next day if that's our last show of a run. Yeah, that's well, y- yeah, and, and that's nice. You know, it's uh, a lot of my Nashville friends say, you know, call me this weekend, and they mean Monday or Tuesday, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's a flip thing. Now, now my wife works a uh, regular Monday through Friday work schedule, but, you know, I'll usually get home. A typical week for us would be, uh, you know, I'll get home on Sunday at some point, depending on how far we're traveling. And I'm here Monday, Tuesday, and perhaps leaving Wednesday night, maybe leave Tuesday night, depending on things. But that Sunday night, Monday night are our, our critical nights together. That's, that's Friday and Saturday. And she just has to deal with uh, staying up a little later and going to work <laughs> tired the next morning. <laughs> right, because uh, you're I still think, on road schedule. <laughs> yeah, I think I think making things a priority is is you know that same thing with our playing. Like the things you focus on and you you ensure are important to you, they'll get the attention they need when they need it. And I think that just making it an active priority goes such a long way. Uh, the guys that are really gone nonstop for long stretches, that's a taller order. Uh, and, and, but I know the same things are involved. It's like, you, you got to make it a priority, uh, whether it's a relationship or, you know, I don't have kids, but those that do have kids, um, it's just, uh, you get what you put into it. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, you mentioned a couple of things in there that I at least want to touch on, you know, and I want to be respectful of your time, but you talked about lessons and sessions. Now, I'm curious, you know, I know that you do teach and, you know, while you were in South Florida, you you taught quite a bit, um, but tell our listeners if somebody wants to, you know, grab a lesson with, with Mark, you know, how would they do that? And second part of that is when you're doing sessions, um, you know, is it... it 
are you holding yourself out there, you know, tracks by email or are you primarily working within the, the Nashville industry doing that? Um, I don't have a lot of like Nashville insider type work. Um, a lot of, I've got a drum room. It's actually where I'm sitting right now talking to you. Uh, it's basically, it's, it's a spare bedroom in my house. Uh, but the good thing is I've set it up really well and there's two kits in here and uh, teaching lessons works great. And I've got drum tones super dialed in and I never, ever break things down. So I'm all, I'm always like fire up fire up the uh the recording gear learn the song and i'm tracking it it can happen so fast um so that's good um teaching wise i i used to teach a lot of students when i was in south florida i was, it was i mean not not a ton but I, roughly 15 a week or so um and i got burned out by the people that were not caring about drums the way i was caring about drums but now i'm sort of i, I don't really advertise uh and i'm in the middle of revamping my website so the only way to get me is through social media uh you know facebook and instagram where i i will respond to anything anybody tries to get a hold of me with um but i i like teaching students regardless of level that are passionate about learning and also, typically, what I what I have to offer goes more down the the mental philosophical approach rabbit hole. Um, I, you know, we can talk about exercises all day long, and I can drill Gary Chester's new breed into your skull until you cry. But where I have the most to offer are approach things and uh, things approach flow, motion, efficiency. Um, and even mental things that, that I've seen the most benefit to my students, but a lot of them are pro or semi-pro guys that are just looking for a little tune up. Yeah. For uh, sure. And I, I love, I love however I can help somebody when I, when they sit down with me, every lesson is a wide open book. Uh, and because that's what I liked for my favorite teachers, uh, you know, Steve Rucker down at the university of Miami, who I am still in touch with is I call him my guru. I learned so much from Steve about way more than just drums. Uh, and if I can be half of that to anyone that ever comes to me for a lesson, that's awesome. So, uh, you know, I, I like to do whatever I can when, when the road is off. It's, it's not even so much about a side hustle. It's just about let's do everything we can. You know, everything I have the ability to do, I want to do it. And with sessions, it's just uh, various contacts over the years. I've got a couple producers, uh, in different cities that are not Nashville based that rely on me for tracks and some songwriters in town that I'll always cut on their demo for really cheap, but just, they, they know that I'll turn it around, uh, quickly and they always like what I bring to the table. Um, I'd love to get more of the, the, uh, elusive Nashville master session, you know, <laughs> thing, but it, that, that, that's really shrinking, honestly. Uh, so I'm happy enough having my own rig that I'm proud of the product that I get. Uh, and, and I'm proud of it representing me to whoever contacts me for tracks. Yeah. Well, I, you're doing good work down there. And, you know, I think the, the other part of it, you said, well, it's not even really a side hustle. You know, I like to help people, but you know, there, there is a definite gear shift that has to happen when you get off the bus, you've been out on the road four, five, seven, ten, however long the run was, however many days, you can't just walk in the house and like play Xbox. You know what I'm saying? It, it takes a little bit to wind down. 
Yeah, well, I'll, I'll tell you this. I, at the risk of alienating any listeners, I don't play any video games. I suck at video games. I don't even watch TV. Like, my wife can't convince me to watch a series with her. So, I'm, <laughs> I'm a bit of a weird. I'm a bit of a weirdo. Like, you know, I like. I'll, I'll, I'll religiously work out, and I'm a huge reader. I'll, I'm reading books about you know everything under the sun. Um, but I, I don't get involved in that stuff. And it's, you know, other than not knowing what's going on in Game of Thrones and that, you know, being a conversation killer, I don't see a downside to avoiding those things, honestly. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's been an advantage overall. Well, you're, you're a man after my own heart because I suck at video games and, you know, I, I, TV is just, you know, there, there's a couple of things that my wife and I watch, but if you're looking for a good book, uh, my wife got me for Christmas and I, I, I'm still laughing. It's the gospel according to Luke. It's, uh, Steve Lukather's autobiography. He finally did one and it is, yeah. it is fantastic. So you got to check that out. Cool. I have heard about it, but I, I have yet to read it. So thanks for the recommendation. Yeah, no problem. Um, so as is the tradition on the drum shuffle, Mark, we ask all of our guests for a good piece of advice. And as we get you know close to, to time to, to sign off here, I wonder if you can give us a good piece of advice, whether it be for other drummers, other musicians, or just life in general, share with us, uh, you know, something we can take out in our day-to-day lives. Um, man, what I, something that I end up preaching to people a lot is uh, variation on the old Greek uh, maxim, know thyself. Uh, and it boils down to, knowing, not only knowing yourself, like, who am I? What do I want? But really get to know yourself. And from there, get to know your playing accurate self-assessment. How, how do I sound? What, what am I good at? What am I not good at? What needs to be improved? How do I sound when I think I'm killing it? Maybe I'm not, you know, all of those things. Um, so many people don't have an accurate self assessment going on, uh, drumming wise, music wise, a personality wise. And I think it's one of the best things any of us can spend our time on. Um, because musicians are, there's lots of egos everywhere. Uh, and you, you're going to run into a lot of people that send mixed signals and are difficult to deal with and all that. And if you're not on the same page inside your own psyche, you're going to have a really rough time navigating all that. And you're not going to be of good service to people that you're working with. So um, the more time you spend just honestly getting to know yourself, being honest with yourself, assessing your playing, not from what you think you are or what you wish you could be, but where am I right now? And that's not beating up on yourself. That's just making you make a list. What's good? What's bad? Let's let's attack the bad. Let's celebrate the good. Um, There's a lot of guys that right now, you know, one of the – Everybody's talking about moving to Nashville. I'm going to, I'm going to pursue music full time and all this. And, and everybody wants advice. And some guys say, Oh man, follow your dream. Go for it. You only live once. Some guys get pessimistic and say, Oh man, you know, it's impossible to make a living. All this. I say like, they're both wrong. Like, do you know where you stand? Do you, can you look at, you know, the kind of gigs that you think you want to be doing and say, I have all of the skill sets. To, to do that job and I can do it well. I, all of those things, 
I, too many people have never even asked those questions. They just say, man, I think I'm, I think I'm a great drummer and I'm going to throw caution to the wind and do this. And that's, to me, that's not actual preparation. That's just pipe dream. But you can make it preparation if you're honest with yourself first. And, you, and then you, you, all the things that aren't good, now you've got a game plan. You attack those. Uh, whether it's drums, whether it's, you know, personality things, I've got a short temper. Well, guess what? That's going to suck on the road. If you think you want to be on tour. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, and all, and any aspect of us can be improved. So the more honest you're willing to be with yourself, the better you can make yourself. It's great advice, Mark. Um, man, I, I just absolutely love that. You're such a student of the instrument and the game and, you know, I, I say this all the time. I say, you know, I've got this great guest coming on the show. He's one of the nice guys, but I truly, truly mean it. You are one of the nice guys. You know, I mean, we hit it off immediately and, you know, you had never met me and we had a great hang at Nashville Drummers Jam. And I'm just all too glad to have you on this show. And it goes without saying Keep us posted. Come back anytime you'd like. We'd love to have you on this show again. Thank you, Jamie. Like I said, it's an honor. Uh, so many of the guys that you have already spoken to on your podcast are are players that really inspire me. And to be at the point that I'm I'm included in these things is uh, it just it feels warm and fuzzy inside. You know. <laughs> Absolutely, and man, you're just doing so much killer work out there, um, folks. Everybody. Look up our guest, Mark Poise. Um, Hit him up for a lesson, tracks if you need it for your demo. Uh, Just super easy to work with and uh, doing tons of great work out there. Mark, thank you so much for stopping by. We really do appreciate it, brother. My pleasure, Jamie. Thank you so much. All right, man. We'll talk to you soon. Yes, sir. All right. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. That's going to wrap up episode 58 of the Drum Shuffle I certainly appreciate each and every one of you listening in. We cannot continue this program without each and every one of you doing so week after week. Many thanks to Mark Poise for joining me. Make sure you get your tickets and go out uh, for the Tyler Farr tour that is going on right now. You will not regret it. Mark's playing speaks for itself. Uh, As always, go ahead and hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using to listen in today. We have some fantastic guests coming up in the coming weeks that you're not going to want to miss. Next week, I'm going to be joined by another great Nashville studio cat, Jerry Rowe. Uh, You're certainly going to want to hear that interview. So hit that subscribe button. We certainly do appreciate it. As always, we love hearing from you throughout the week. Uh, we love getting your emails and we do respond to each and every one. Uh, the Drum Shuffle Podcast at gmail.com is our email address. Our web address is thedrumshuffle.com. And you can find more information on me over at jamieeds.com. Make sure you check out all of the social media links there at jamieeds.com. You can see Instagram photos, Facebook posts, all that good stuff. Thanks so much for tuning in, and as always, may your head stay strong and your sticks never break. Cheers!